Well, hi, I'm Joshua. Hi, I'm Talia. And welcome to our podcast, The Uncommon Census, where we reflect on the nature of knowledge, on how we know what we claim to know. Everyone, welcome back to our podcast. And this is going to be a follow-up from our last podcast, where we talk about synesthesia and also our, you know,、um, how our five different senses work together in creating a whole experience for us. So,、um, from our last podcast, you can see that synesthesia is truly an amazing phenomenon, where a crossover of various senses could actually give rise to new ones. I mean, just how amazing、mm-hmm. is that? But however, this is not the sense that exists outside of our usual five senses. I'm sure you all heard about the term, you know, sixth sense, a phrase used to describe some kind of implicit perception from some unknown source by some unknown mechanism, and some people would describe it as intuition or instincts, while others would refer it as the superhuman ability to communicate with paranormals, while others may simply dismiss it as fiction or deny its existence at all. But、um, as you will soon discover, our sixth sense is actually very real. The sixth sense I'm going to introduce first, much like synesthesia, is only possessed by a small group of people, and it is actually echolocation, which describes the ability to detect one's environment through sensing the echoes bouncing off of surrounding objects. And is present in written records as early as 1749, when French philosopher Denis Diderot recorded a blind friend being able to navigate his surroundings through sounds. This sense emerged due to its extraordinary ability for people who have no vision to have heightened sense of hearing, kind of like a superpower. But、um, h- however fictional it might sound, it is actually backed by a lot of scientific reasoning and evidence, which、um, scientists attribute to a phenomenon known as neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity. Tell me, have you heard of this term, like neuroplasticity? <laughs> I still can't pronounce it. <laughs> I guess it's kind of like. I mean, the term plasticity is kind of like you know the brain is kind of rewired or is kind of like different than our own. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. You know, the the term describes you know our ability for our human brain to rewire or restructure its synapses to adapt to its environmental factors. So, in other words, our brain can actually change and adapt itself according to our surroundings, which you know it's it's kind of a bizarre concept to think about it because we can't really feel our brain changing while it does all the time, and. If you don't believe me, you can actually test out yourself. All you need is a desk divider, a reasonably realistic rubber hand, and a hammer, and another person as your test subject. And this is a test actually called the、um, rubber hand experiment. To do this, you tell the subject to put his or her hand on one side of the desk divider, so the person could see his or her own hand. But the rubber hand on the other Put the rubber hand on the other side of the desk divider, which is visible to the test subject. Then、um, you will simultaneously stroke the rubber hand and the person's hand in sync for around two to three minutes. And what is happening now is that you are actually fooling the subject brain to think that the rubber hand is actually their own real hand, which their brain is rewiring temporarily to adopt、um, the rubber band as its own. Then unexpectedly, take your hammer out and smash it onto the rubber hand, <laughs> <laughs> and. You know, you'll 
An interesting phenomenon you will see is that the subjects will actually jump back in fear as they think that you're actually attacking their real hand instead. So to these to see this experiment, I recommend watching a BBC documentary called Horizon, which is linked in the descriptions below. And now back to the topic of echolocation. It is not just a skill possessed by particular human beings, but it's actually a you know prominent mode of sensing in the animal kingdom. So usually you see an animal such as bats, blue whales, or dolphins, um, which are animals that can echolocate, and this helps them to navigate their dark environment, such as the night sky or pitch black ocean seafloor, where you know no light can actually penetrate. So, you know, it is actually a quite an extraordinary um, central equipment for animals that can normally couldn't really sense their surroundings through normal vision. And the next, the next sixth sense that we're going to talk about is also used by many animals. And one of the most famous examples being bees, um, known as the um, building complex, uh, known for bu building complex colonies. Bees are intensely social insects, and they rely on you know communication and job delegation to carry out, you know their, their impressive scale of coordination. You know in in terms of building their hives and also you know col collecting nectar and producing honey. But the question is, how do they talk to each other, so to speak? You know, they're not like human beings. They don't really have a verbal language, so to speak. So as it turns out, bees release a kind of chemical known as pheromones, which are substances that almost all animals release and carry around to, you know, transfer information and to um, give instructions. And human beings are no different, you know, being social animals ourselves. And you know, subconsciously and quite unknowingly, we release these pheromones and chemicals every day through sweat, odor, saliva, breath, even urine, and you know other bodily discharge. And so, as it turns out, we receive pheromones through specialized sensory neurons in our nose and our mouth, which affects one's perceived attractiveness, mood, and other social interaction. So, like, for example, like, have you ever been enchanted by a? person's muscle <laughs> scent, <laughs> which I, I, now I read is kind of, um, kind of a weird thing to say, but I mean, it's supposedly, this is backed by, you know, scientific, mm. you know, evidence and phenomenon. So like, Talia, have you ever like, find a particular scent <laughs> of a person, you know, to be attractive oh, or wow. like, disgusting? <laughs> well, I just, okay, um, I just remember <laughs> There's one time uh, we were like, basically it happened in our school and like there was this teacher and then she wears this perfume, which is like, oh. we all kind of think it's too strong. I think strong. I know who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, I mean, this is, you know, this pheromone thing can definitely be related to like, you know, the smell like as like one of our five senses but i think you know it's very interesting because like pheromone this kind of thing it's very it's uh, similar to like smell but it's very also very different because subjectively speaking it's a perfume so it's like not supposed to smell that bad but then it, you just kind of strongly have this repulsion against it like it's just not attractive like it's just weird or there's some smells that you know it just it 
you can't explain why it smells good. You just feel like that smells really good. Like, for example, your grandma, you know, like, sometimes you kind of, you know, there's this term, like, elderly scent or whatever. And I think it's just, yeah, going to my grandma's just makes me, there's just that very, that, that sense of, like, comfort. Like, I don't know how to explain it. And there's a very specific smell for, like, our grandmas. Like... I yeah. think it's very interesting he talks about like the grandma or supposedly like elderly smell that you know uh-huh. people often smell around old people. It's, it's very interesting because recently I had this conversation with my dad about like, you know, why do old people have a particular kind of smell? And I went online, I did some research and apparently it's because of <laughs> not not to pop your bubble, but it's apparently to it's because of like a deteriorating skin, you know, skin condition, <gasps> where like because oh. as we age, our skin loses <coughs> oxidants. So like the Ooh. lipid cells in our under our skin actually gets oxidized, and this actually produced <gasps> a chemical that can create like an you know elderly musk, so to speak. So, yeah. So it's okay. I, I I guess like. Uh, to some people, it represents comfort because it's the signature smell of you know their grandpa and grandma, and we attach mm. specific memories to smells and you know different central experiences. And to other people, it may be like oh they think it's stinky and it's a kind of like a repulsive kind of uh, mm. mechanism. So I think um, <laughs> it's very interesting to see how you know pheromones could both attract and repulse people, and. Mm-hmm. I also find it very interesting how you mentioned about, you know, perfumes and, you know, perhaps like deodorants, these kind of chemicals yeah. we put on our bodies to kind of hide our smell. And to, to some extent, do you think it's really kind of like we are kind of messing with nature in the sense that we're manipulating our own pheromones or we're actively blocking our own pheromones to achieve certain social conventions or social goals such as like you know we put cologne on ourselves to make our to make us seem more attractive or we put like deodorant to hide our sweat smells to make us seem less repulsive and to tell people hey i'm not dirty so do you think you know it's a good or a bad thing that you know we are actually in our modern age we are using chemicals to manipulate our pheromones or manipulate our bodily odors in order to you know essentially fit into society I don't think it's, I, I don't want to say it's necessarily good or bad, but it's just very interesting that we, you know, there's a social expectation of what we should smell and like also a biological thing of the chemicals that we release. Um, yeah, I, I think it's just, you know, a balance between like this kind of like social construct of what smells good and like, hence we have like inventions of, you know, deodorants and perfumes and stuff like that. And it's, definitely interesting like how much our scent you know plays a very strong role in like our interpersonal relationships with other people and like impressions that other people have on us um yeah i think oh yeah another thing i wanted to add for this sixth sense idea is the echolocation that you um mentioned about i think in uh in our class we also talked about like there's this person who has echolocation I think he he's blind and then he can't and then he but then he uses echolocation to ride bicycles around to know that where the obstacles are like literally he just makes sounds with uh like sounds yeah, yeah. and then basically yeah like clicking sound and then he's able to 
know where the trees are. I think, you know, echolocation being possessed by like humans is, it's just really fascinating. Mm. And yeah, this particular sixth sense, I guess. Yeah, and it's it's also very like interesting to see like just how flexible, as you mentioned, like the echolocation, like how、mm-hmm. how flexible our brains are. Like, I, I'm not sure if that person is. I forgot is that person blind, you know, before he was yeah, born yeah. or after he was born. I I forgot, but it's very interesting to see how just in a very、mm-hmm. short period of time, the human brain is able to quickly rewire itself to adapt to its、mm-hmm. environment. While, for example, in other features, for example, like um. For bats or dolphins or other animals, it may take them, you know, hundreds or millions of years just to evolve to where they are. So, I it I guess it's a very um, it, it's a very fascinating point to note how just how uh it, it, how flexible our brains are and how the echolocation serves as a very compelling evidence for such. And you know, it's very it's very funny because when you mentioned about another person, you know, having echolocation, the first person I thought of was like Helen Keller. So like, okay, <laughs> I I I. But then when you said he, I quickly was oh, I was wrong. But you know, um, speaking of Hel- Helen Keller, she also have a very exceptional, you know, unusual sense or like sixth sense, so to speak, which is. Tactioception, which is when you know people who are blind have a more enhanced tactile tactile sense, so they have better um sensitivity. Ah,、uh, they have better sensitivity towards the you know the the surroundings that they touch. Essentially, not only does a disability kind of you know changes how a person senses their surroundings, but actually a person's profession could also. Enhances one's sense. For example, you know, prof- in pro- professional athletes or people working in the circus, they have, you know, something called a pro propioception or a equilibrioception, which are you know, kind of six senses they developed because of their you know the needs of their occupation. So for the first one that we're going to talk about is propioception, which is the body's ability to sense. Its surrounding and to sense action and location without, you know, visual aids. So, for example, it is the you can even do this little experiment at home. Um, it is the ability where you are able to t- touch your nose or kick your feet without, um, looking. So, it's basically the kind of like a muscle sensory response. So, um, you can kind of like be able to feel your body and feel your bodily movements. The other one is equilibrioception, which is the the sense of balance, where um because of a con a controlled vestibular system, which is um located in your in inner ear, so um essentially it provides you um hints and information about you know are you um hints and information about um are you standing straight or are you like um you know having a balanced action, and. You know, conflict of these senses could actually cause you know disabilities and causes ailments such as motion sickness. So that's a practical example of, you know, when when these senses that we don't really focus on malfunctions, it could it can actually like produce like um you know disabilities and actually like limit our actions and limit our activity. So um, you may say that all these six senses we have covered so far, only cover like only. 
they, they kind of, one way or another, they relate to our five senses, such as, you know, echolocation, mm -hmm. ultimately. They also rely on auditory senses, and pheromones relies on olfactory or gustatory senses. So you may say that, oh, um, I don't really think that these senses are as new, so to speak, because, you know, one way or another, they also feed into our other five senses. So you may ask, are there other senses that, you know, are completely detached? They do not rely on rely on our current five senses at all. And, you know, to that I say, of course they are. For instance, there's a kind of sense called magnetoreception. Oh my gosh, all these names are driving me crazy. Which is... It's all right. <laughs> which is the power to unconsciously detect changes in the Earth's magnetic field to navigate directions. So scientists have found that the mechanism relies on our nervous system, which consists of gravity, temperature, pain, balance, and several other internal stimuli. Many organisms rely on this ability, from you know, bacteria to birds and fishes, to kind of sense their surrounding area and navigate accordingly. Dr. Schumann, a postdoctoral researcher, even tried to amplify and put this sense into use by his invention of the haptic compass belt. Essentially, the belt vibrates in the direction of north constantly, allowing the users to navigate his or her direction simply by feeling it, you know. So, like, essentially they could, f like, feel their direction. And even though this is a seemingly artificial equipment or artificial tool, they would argue that, you know, it opens a new sense to people, you know, so they could, like, sense their direction while, you know, normal people couldn't. So, you know, Talia, I, I would like to ask, like, would you like to own an invention like that? An invention that allows you to feel your direction without, you know, con consulting maps or, like, uh, other directory tools? Oh, God. I, I mean, that would be great, actually, because uh, I don't know where I'm going most of the time. <laughs> I don't really know the direction or anything. <laughs> But like, yeah, like you, what you mentioned just now, there's like modern technology, like Google Maps, like they, they're basically doing a very similar thing to that. And um, so, yeah, my answer to your question is like, yes, but no, because there's Google Maps and, you know, all of these tools anyway. Um, but I think that's also very interesting because, you know, modern days, we kind of, you know, somewhat need this. Like we, we don't have that much of like a better sense in directions but we kind of like discuss like our ancestors or like more primitive like tribes do they have like a better sense in like direction because you know when people just kind of people like of an older generation just tell me this is go to northeast go to like southwest and i'm <laughs> like what <laughs> where <laughs> and i'm just kind of confused so you know, back in their days when they don't have these kind of modern technology, um, then do they actually have a better sense of direction because they simply have to, like in, in terms of survival needs, like they have to, you know, know these directions more specifically than us. So, and also, yeah, just basically this relationship between like technology and also like our sense of direction, I think is kind of interesting. Yeah, and you know, I I think a um 
from what you said, I think it reminds me of this, you know, Chinese proverb, which I think, you know, comes aptly into its place now, is that like this saying where it's like, some people have high grade, but low abilities. So it's this, <laughs> so it's this idea that, you know, now, you know, as compared to our ancestors, nowadays people focus, you know, you know, they, they focus more of their time in front of a screen, in front of a, in a classroom or in a, you know, work, a office environment. They, they have less use of their senses, so to speak, because they're not in the wild. They don't need to forage for food or, you know, hunt or to create their own homes. And mm-hmm. yeah, and I, I think uh, I, I think it relates to what you said about how you know, technology or like modern, our modern way of lifestyle actually largely limits how we use our senses. And, you know, maybe from a long-term neglect of our senses could lead to a deterioration of, you know, our sensual abilities. And another thing you reminded me of is that um, in our modern age, we're, we're constantly bombarded with, you know, different stimuli. For example, you know, from, you know, as we talked about just now, billboards, um, of fast food chains, they use this really eye-catching colors, for example, like red or like really flashy visual aids to kind of tempt us into eating or tempting us into consuming. So there's also this idea that the overstimulation or the constant bombardment of external stimulation of our senses could essentially you know, cause us to be more numb or cause our central abilities to deteriorate. So I think it is a combination of these different factors compounded together that, you know, causes us to be worse than our ancestors, so to speak, in terms of the, you know, department of senses. And Mm -hmm. also, like, I think, at least from, you know, our culture, the Chinese culture, our ancestors are very um, good at sensing something like the weather or like their the natural environments because I think they rely on these senses in um, farming and in the yield of crops you know a bad weather could just mean uh, could be, be the meaning between you know getting fed and starving so but nowadays because of the global supply chain and how our food gets imported and we don't really need to rely on these kind of primal instincts to um to ensure our own survival anymore. So I think there's also this kind of shift in, um, again, the shift in lifestyle and the shift in the, um, the, uh, the, what, what our civilization relies on in uh, production and what it relies on in you know, surviving. I think this also plays a large role in how, um, a large role in how our senses have developed and, how our senses has like the condition of our senses so i think what this proves illustrates is that you know neuroplasticity on one hand it could you know aid us to develop new senses that you know arise because of new specific needs but on the other hand it can also play a role in you know um having some you know eliminating so to speak useless senses that we don't really need to use anymore in our day-to-day life so yeah, yeah. Now we talked a lot about you know how um, you know how technology could limit our senses and how an over reliance on technology could essentially um, bring about the downfall of our central abilities, and yeah, you know now I just would like to, just to give some examples of how technology could you know on the other hand also enhance our senses. 
So, um, for example, there's this person called Neil Harabison, who is cyborg artist from Spain, who became the first person to have an antenna implanted into his skull. So, so this allowed him to have senses normally unavailable to humans, such as receiving electromagnetic radiation, phone calls, or even data from satellites, and these. There was even an entire art movement in the two thousands dedicated to this sort of thing. You know, the creation of new senses through technology, which is called cyborgism, and from that they have this organization named the Cyborg Foundation, which you know you can research yourself to see. You know, many other examples of how different cyborg artists was able to manipulate or invent new technology in order to you know enhance their um. Ability to sense their surroundings, so as you can see, the shift in paradigm or the advancement of technology essentially brought about the creation of new senses, and perhaps even go as far as saying that it has redefined our definition of what senses are. So, when you ask a person, you know, maybe like a hundred or two hundred years ago, they would say that oh, senses are purely、um, confined within our five senses, you know. The sense of touch, the sense of taste, the sense of smell, and so on. But you know, with the emergence of technology and with the not,、uh, accumulation of education and knowledge we have now, we actually have a better understanding of the existence of new senses as well as the knowledge of how to create new ones. So you know,、um, there's definitely a lot of you know、um, a, a lot of space for you to think about. Like is this is the ability to create new senses a good thing or are we you know、um, a good thing or are we you know playing God or causing our you know older or more primal senses to deteriorate in its function? So yeah, Talia, would you you know would you like you know I see that you 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 don't really see the you know point of owning a a belt that tells you、um, directions, but. Would you like to be someone like Neil, who essentially, you know, implant technology within their internal body, so to like receive, you know, completely, you know, unnatural senses to adapt to our, you know, twenty first century surroundings, where you can, you know, receive phone calls or have Wi Fi or receive data from satellites? Oh my God! I think that for me now, that sounds a little bit creepy and crazy. <laughs> so. <laughs> Possibly no, but like I, I do get like you know times are evolving and like we are changing, and yeah, I think that's like a very interesting thing between like nature versus mankind, you know that thing. And I think we are possibly gonna talk a little bit more about that in like the future episodes where we talk about reality and like the this hypothesis that our world is might be a simulation. I think we are gonna. Discuss more about that in future episodes, and I think it's really fun. And yeah, I think in, in going back to the question of implanting new, you know, so-called senses in in our own body, I think just right now it doesn't really seem very ethical to me. It's just I pos I personally won't really do that because I think there 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 possibly is a reason why we have evolved with. You know these senses and like, you know, a hierarchy of which senses are more and the most important than the other. Like we have lived for so long and we have come to this place because of accumulation for like, you know, 
years of you know evolution but i do understand that technology is evolving way faster than you know than human beings evolution basically i i, I guess yeah so um i think it's just this person made this particular choice to enhance his senses but i feel like i don't know maybe in the future we mm. don't need these technologies anymore a new set of technology is going to evolve like you know this idea of receiving phone calls because we don't really make phone calls anymore we just yeah. text each other <laughs> and you know stuff like that yeah and we have different medias like zoom like we can see people while making phone calls and stuff so yeah if yeah if it were me i possibly wouldn't do that yeah and you know the i, I think a lot of people actually agree with you on that i think to them it's it's a very creepy or like they think it's a rather unsettling idea to have mm-hmm. technology implanted in us and you know uh, you hear a lot of the same arguments with you know the, the emergence of artificial organs people don't don't really Ooh. want you know putting machineries inside a body and there are also other you know safety concerns about what if the mechanism malfunction will that affect my health and i think it just has a lot to do with like the paradigm that we're in now i, I don't think we're even with the you know the dramatic shift in technology and even with its ability to do so i think i don't think mainstream society is really equipped or ready to accept these kinds of you know new equipments in their life and as we've seen in history you know new technologies new ideas takes a long time to integrate into mainstream perception into mainstream mm-hmm. ideas so definitely i think the same what goes for like introducing new senses and you know the idea that um our ability to accept um the ability to accept whether we're, we want to have um new uh, new senses based on the integration of technology with our bodily functions so yeah so that's basically you know um the, the main idea for this um extended episode from our first episode where you know the the essentially the idea is that we want the public to think more than just the normal five senses we have now and to accept the idea that you know there are you know extraordinary seemingly fictional senses other than our normal sense of touch sense of taste and sense of smell and you know mm-hmm. all the other ones so yeah we hope that we have introduced some new senses that you never thought of before and given you some room for thought and of course there are still many senses out there that we didn't cover like <laughs> dollars and senses or the census as the population survey and if you didn't laugh at that joke you clearly don't have a sense of humor so <laughs> thank you so much for listening to our podcast and in the next episode we're going to talk more about how our senses affect the way we obtain knowledge and construct the reality around us so please keep an eye out for new episodes And we'll see you next time on The Uncommon Census.